Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I tell you what, can we give God praise for our worship team one more time? They're just awesome. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you know, this isn't the case uh, everywhere, but when you look up here every week, we thought it'd be good for one person to kind of lead the charge, and so we, we pay Jed in, in Skittles and candy and things like that, but everybody else that you see up here is volunteering their time, and I'm just amazed every week, and I think we often take this for granted, how spoiled we are with the gifts and the talents that God has given so many artists uh, in this church. So everybody you see up here every single week is just giving up their time. They're volunteering uh, to do this and lead us in worship, and I just think it's incredible, and we're so thankful uh, for that and, and for everything that they do, and Jed even brings on whiteboards, too. It's amazing. He has so many, so many gifts uh, in that way. Uh, extra, skittles that. extra skittles for that. That's right. Absolutely. Some of you maybe, uh, if you're new to Hope, uh, or if you're new to Hope Des Moines, some of you are maybe wondering and thinking to yourselves, did we just stand up and sing during the offering? You better believe we did. And here's why. Uh, a lot of people think, well, the offering is sort of the boring time of the service when we pass the plates and I feel guilty that I forgot my money or I do it online or whatever. And some people put money in and some people don't. And that's just the way it is. Giving is an act of worship, and there's a lot of different ways to worship. One way is to give our tithes and offerings. Another way to do that is sing, and so we do that too. And so, yes, we stand and sing, and we continue in our worship. But somebody asked me why we do that, and I was just kind of playing with them a little bit, and I said, you know what? Here's really why we stand and sing, and the band just keeps playing during worship, because if we pass the, place, pass the place once and it's not enough, we just keep passing them again until we get enough, and I just keep playing. Just kidding, right? Some of you go, really? No. Uh, no, that's why we do that. It is Giving is an act of worship, and so we just continue continue in that. I tell you what, if you are, uh, chances are by now, if you're a student, if you are uh, a child, if you're a, a parent of a student or uh, a teacher or connected with education in any way, or if you've just been on Facebook the last week and have seen the plethora of back-to-school pictures of cute kids standing in front uh, of their door, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, it is back-to-school time. And uh, depending on your family situation at home, uh, some parents right now are rejoicing and praising God from whom all blessings flow that it is fall uh, and they have a little break. Uh, some parents may be a little sad that you have a little bit less time with the kiddos at home. I guess the same could be true, uh, could be said of the kids uh, as well. Some kids just love school and they can't wait to go back and that's great. Uh, if you were anything like me uh, growing up, you just loved Summer. Think back to your childhood for a second. Anybody else just love summer and just never want it to end? Yeah, pretty much everybody, right? Like school's a drag. Like summer is awesome. And when you're little, like now it's like three months, boom, it goes by so quick. When you were little, didn't summer just seem endless? Like it's like, I am out and I'm never going to have to do anything again, right? I can just do whatever I want. I was thinking this week, what comes to mind when I thought of my endless summer days? And here's the first things that popped in my head. Number one, large blizzards at Dairy Queen. You know what I'm talking about? I, I go and I look at Dairy Queen now, and the large blizzards are like the size of your head. I mean, they're huge. And I'm thinking, when I was 10, I pounded that. Like, that's gross. That's so much ice cream. Now I'm like, I'm just going to get the little mini guy. Like, that's enough for me, you know? You start growing and get into middle age. I can't handle that anymore. And then, as if that wasn't enough sugar, the next thing that came to my mind that summer meant to me was those uh, Mr. Ice things. 
those freezy pop things. I had about 13 of those a day. That was pretty normal uh, for me for summer. I, I, I was thinking about it, like running around barefoot. That was one of my favorite things to do. Playing baseball in the backyard uh, with my brother and hitting tennis balls on top of the church because I was a pastor's kid and that's what you do and, and all that. And for me, summer was just endless. Like you would, you'd get up early in the morning and then it was just like it was light to nine or ten. But the number one thing that I remembered about summer, most importantly, that it is freedom from the tyranny of school. Why do they make you go to school? Like, what a drag, right? So for me, going back to school, uh, back to class was synonymous with less joy, less fun, less freedom. Let me say that again. Less joy, less fun, less freedom. And if we are not careful, we can start seeing discipleship or following Jesus in the exact same way. Less joy, less fun, less freedom. And, and if we're not careful, maybe because of assumptions that you have about what it means to follow Jesus, maybe it's because of uh, past experiences that you've had with the church. We have all sorts of different backgrounds here at Hope, particularly here at Hope Des Moines. The number one church background we have is no church background. And praise God for that. We are not here to compete with other churches or steal people from other churches or shuffle the sheep, as we call it. We're here to reach people that nobody else is reaching, people that don't have a church home and don't know Jesus. That's why we're here. But because of that, Hope is a very diverse community. And so for some of you, you grew up in a church setting where following Jesus was showing up at a building once a week, singing some songs, hearing a sermon, and then going home and trying to be a pretty good person the rest of the week, not drink, not smoke, not cuss, and not flick, uh, flick anybody off on the interstate. Like, that was Christianity, right? We invent these versions of Christianity, and without really thinking, we live into them. It turns out, when it comes to following Jesus, it's anything but boring. It's anything but mundane. It's anything but less joy, less fun, and less freedom. When we look at the New Testament, we see that following Jesus is anything but boring. Sometimes, instead, what I love to do is I love to challenge people, and it's so important, even those of us that have been on the journey of faith for a while, we get really comfortable sometimes, don't we? And we assume, if I'm showing up every week, I'm doing my time, that's what following Jesus means. Instead, it's important that what I challenge people to do is like, just take a Bible and put all your assumptions and preconceived ideas about what it means to follow Jesus aside. Read the story. Read the Gospels in particular. Study Jesus' life. And then ask yourself, what would be the proper response to this? Read the book of Acts. And what we'll find, I was thinking about it, if I just took off my pastor hat and my Christian hat for a second, and I was just a random person that picked up and read people's response to a risen Jesus... This is the story that I think we would see. There is this guy named Jesus. And one day he showed up and he started claiming to be God. And he claimed things that nobody else could claim unless you were God. And then he backed them up. He did all these amazing miracles and performed all these things. And he invited people into a life of passion and adventure and courage and joy and freedom. And whoever he interacted with, he completely changed their life. This wasn't like a do what you're already doing and then tack on Jesus. It was like people's lives were dramatically changed. And then get this, this same guy, Jesus, he actually predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he actually did it. 
Three days later, he comes walking out of his own grave. Now, regardless of what you believe and what you think about church or Jesus or Christianity, if a guy predicts his own death and resurrection and then follows through with it, I'm with that guy. Amen? Right? I want to follow him, right? Because nobody else can claim that they've done that. Only God could do something like that. And then if, as that wasn't enough, he comes walking out of his own grave, ascends into heaven, up back to his father and says, peace out, all you guys disciples. And then he sends his spirit into their hearts, so much so that the entire book of Acts is full of stories of people that can't be quiet. They can't contain the passion, the fire that is burning in their heart for Jesus. They cannot help but speak about what they have seen and heard. That sounds anything but boring to me. That sounds anything but comfortable. I don't see it as a, well, that's a part of life thing. It was like an all of life thing. I don't see anywhere in the book of Acts that we go to church once a week, we hear a sermon, and then we try to be a pretty good person. It was life altering, life changing. Jesus follows up on this at the very last book of the Bible in Revelation. He's speaking to the churches and he's reminding them of who they've been called to be. And it speaks pretty directly to us. Jesus makes this crazy statement. He says, I would rather that you be hot or cold when it comes to your passion and following Jesus. I would rather that you be hot or cold than lukewarm. Whoa, time out. Take a step back. Think about what Jesus is saying. I would rather have you be completely out of it. Nothing to do with church, nothing to do with following me, instead of going through the motions and pretending and being lukewarm. That's a pretty radical statement. We're like, whoa, Jesus, there's some passages in the Bible where we're like, well, that's a little strong, Jesus, tone it down. This is how serious he is. Christianity is an all-in proposition. Following Jesus is an all-of-life sort of thing. I love talking to people that are new believers here at Hope Des Moines. People that have come to faith recently, they are the most passionate, the most on fire. They invite people to worship every single week because they're just like, well, I thought that's what we do. <laughs> like, it's so fresh for them. It's not all these walls and years of just kind of like comfortability. It's like, it's all new and it's all fresh. And it's just like, Oh my word, if this guy came back from the dead, he's completely changed my life and it's the greatest news I've ever heard, of course I'm going to tell people about it. The least I could do is invite somebody to worship. That's not radical, that's normal. And that's my prayer for us, that we would kind of come at these stories in a fresh way and say, man, what does it mean to follow Jesus? That's the sermon series we're in right now, is radical discipleship. Five leaps of faith, radical discipleship. For ordinary Christians. And I know it's so easy. You're probably sitting there going, John, that's great and all, but my life doesn't look like that. I wouldn't say that my fire is burning brightly for Jesus today. In fact, I feel maybe like I'm just kind of surviving. You talk about all this passion and this energy and this joy and excitement, and some of you are sitting there going, man, I just got to get the laundry done today. You know, like you're just surviving, right? And that's the reality of life. When you think about it, I like to think of our Christian lives just like any other journey. It's a journey full of ups and downs. And if you think about your story with God, some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Some of you, this is a shorter span of time because it's new for you. But I think in a lot of ways, sometimes our Christian journeys sort of resemble kind of this roadmap. And there's peaks and there's valleys. And if you're anything like me, 
your spiritual journey looks a little bit like this. And then eventually we kind of come out over here somewhere, but it looks a little something like that, and you stretch that out. There are peaks and there's valleys. There's moments, I'm guessing, in your relationship with God where you have felt on fire. And like you can name those moments, you know what I'm saying? Where you felt so close to God, like, man, he's right there. And then reality sets in, and we realize that, oh, man, just because I know Jesus doesn't mean that life gets any easier. Knowing Jesus doesn't make life easy. Knowing Jesus makes life worth living. Amen? And we discover that, and reality sets in, and difficult things happen, and we go through stretches in our lives where we feel distant from God, and the passion kind of wanes a little bit, and we don't have that intimacy with him, and we're down in the valley. And for some of you, it's like, that's real. And some of these things, just life throws you a curveball, and you get divorced. You lose your job. Somebody close to you dies. Some things you can control, some things you can't control. Some, some of them have you down in the valley. For others of you, you're just spinning your wheels and you feel like, man, I take one step forward and I'm making progress into the man or woman of God that I want to be, and then it's like I take one step back. I'm right there with you. And for others of you, you're right here. And the danger of that is everything's just fine. You know what I think one of the devil's greatest tactics is? Not make us hot, not make us cold, to make us lukewarm. How's your relationship with God? Eh. So Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the greatest news that we could ever have, and you want to tell everybody about it? Eh. It's okay. I do the church thing, you know. For some of you, your faith has flatlined. Nothing's too great, nothing's too terrible. It's just eh. dangerous place to be. It's like we sang this morning, God set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain or I can't control. God has more for you than being stuck. And whatever has you in those valleys today, here's the good news. No matter where you are, and some of you are looking at that going, I'm, I'm in the valley. I feel so far away from God and, and disconnected from the church today. Some of you are like, I'm on the mountaintop. It's great. Some of you are stuck. Some of you, nothing's changed. Some of you are super comfortable in your faith. That is a very dangerous place to be. Jesus never invited you into a life of comfort. He invited you into a life where he is going to dramatically change you from the inside out. Keep interrupting your life. And the good news is no matter where you're at here today, if you feel far away from God, the good news is he's not the one who left. Regardless of where you are, Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I am the one consistent thing in your life. I have been with you the whole time. One of the mistakes we make as Christians is to think, if everything's going well, then God must be close to me. You know what Jesus says in the Psalms, what God says? I am close to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, man, I heard this awesome sermon on Sunday. It was awesome. I feel so close to God. Oh, man, Monday morning. Pfft. Or you get to Wednesday, and you're like, man, this is a drag. Jesus, I feel so far away from you. Do you know where Jesus is when life's a drag and you're down in the valley? He's right there with you. He's never been closer to you when you feel the farthest from him. He is right there with you. 
And the good news is his offer into a radical life still stands. I love how uh, Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's read this together up on the screen. This is Jesus' invitation to us. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. I love that line, to save you from, a, from an empty life, from a huh, kind of life, from a boring Christianity, from a mediocre life. Jesus did not defeat sin and death. Jesus did not go to hell and back, defeating sin and death, dying on the cross and rising again so that you could be a nice person. <laughs> That's a part of it, but there's so much more. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people come to life. Amen? And he wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to get us back on the path and save you from a life of emptiness. And when I say empty, I want you to hear me say this. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's for the non-believers. If you're plateaued today, if you're feeling comfortable, some of you have been following Jesus for a long time and God wants to give you a wake-up call. He wants to come and mess with you a little bit in a God sort of way, in a good sort of way. Jesus wants to give you a brand new life. Another way of thinking about it is when you first started following Jesus, you were probably super passionate about it and that fire was burning brightly. And for some of you, oh man, is this going to work? Some of you, that's your fire for Jesus these days. It's there, it's barely there, and for some of you, you can't get a lighter to work. Some of you, the fire has just completely burned out, right? You're down in the valley, you don't know where Jesus is, and that flame that was once burning brightly is not there anymore. I was thinking about comparing and contrasting this past week. I was doing some grilling. Uh, I was attempting to grill, and uh, I was grilling some chicken, and so I put the chicken in the grill and everything like that, and uh, it's an okay grill. It's like a $100 special from Walmart. Gets the job done. And so I put the chicken on the grill, and I walk back in, and our three-year-old son, uh, Caleb, comes running in. He says, Daddy, Daddy, the grill's on fire. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's, that's cute. He's three. He doesn't understand how a grill works, you know? Like, there's fire in the grill. That's what you have to do. Well, little did I know, I didn't clean up after myself the last time, and there was this chunk of hamburger. That, have you ever had this happen? That was sitting down in the grill, right? And that caught on fire. So I'm like, oh, buddy, don't worry about it. You know, I'll teach you about grills sometime, right? There's a fire in the grill. <laughs> Funny. Five minutes later, I... Uh, <laughs> He comes back in and goes, Daddy, it's a big fire. <laughs> so, like, you know, maybe I should check this out. And so I go walking out onto our deck, and that is our grill. I am no longer cooking ch ch chicken. I am cooking the grill. It is, like, engulfed in flames, okay? Like, that's not it. I found that on Google. But it looks something like that, okay? It is literally on fire. I'm like, this is how I'm going to burn down my house. It's because I didn't listen to our son. I, Daddy, the girl's on fire, right? It's just roaring flames and passion, and I'm thinking about that set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. God wants to set you on fire with his love this morning, and some of you are there, and God wants to bring the fire back. 
So how do we do that? How do we get back on the path? How do we get back on the journey with Jesus to where he can light that fire again? Well, the beauty of our story today from Isaiah is that it gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like for God to get a hold of somebody's life and get them back in the game. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and that's where we're going to land today. Isaiah chapter 6. So that's in the Old Testament, which is in the first part of your Bible, and Isaiah is about in the middle of your Bible. So if you flip open to the middle, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Just to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here, Isaiah is a prophet, and prophets prophesy, right? That's your deep thought for the day. Their job is to be a mouthpiece for God, is to be a spokesperson for God, from God to his people. And Isaiah, just like other prophets, are broken, imperfect human beings just like the rest of us. And believe it or not, Isaiah had reached this certain point in his life where he was down in the valley. He was a pro- I mean, he was called by God and he was doing it so well, but being a prophet's hard. You have to say things that people don't want to hear sometimes that rub people the wrong way. And so Isaiah is down in the dumps. He's really struggling. And God comes and gives him this new vision of who he is. So God comes and interrupts his life, and he gives him this vision, this dream of God. So check it out in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a—just picture this for a second. Close your eyes and just picture this scene. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple— Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces because God's holiness was so great. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Like, this is a normal quiet time for you, right? This, is, this happens to you a lot in your, your times with God? Not me, right? This is crazy. But it's the first step in what we see God do. For Isaiah, he needed a fresh vision of God. So if you're writing it down, that's step one, that God comes with a fresh vision. Instead of he meets us where we are, we're going along our journey, and it's like, boom, God interrupted Isaiah's life with a divine Interruption. Everybody say interruption. We normally see those as bad things, but with God, they're good things. He's trying to get our attention. And it's almost like God is saying to Isaiah through this, like you've been in the valley, you've gotten comfortable with your life, everything's going along, and God says, never, ever grow comfortable with the God of the universe. Don't forget who you're singing about on Sunday mornings. Don't forget who you're praying to. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Don't forget the greatness of our God. And I think one of the reasons that you and I, just like Isaiah, sometimes grow complacent in our walk with God is we forget the greatness of God. We forget how amazing he is. And instead of living in the moment and having this daily encounter with God, here's what we do. Here's what gets us down in those peaks and and what gets us stuck sometimes is we live off the fumes of the past. I hear people say things like this all the time. Man, that mission trip that I went on, that was so awesome. I felt so close to God, man. I was on fire for him. I'm like, when was that? They're like, oh, four years ago. That's your most recent encounter with God? I'll hear there are people say, man, I went to that awesome Christian concert. 
And it was like everybody was crying and the lights were down and I had my hands in the air. I felt so close to God. And then I had to go back to work and it was like, man, God wasn't there at all. Man, I heard that sermon a few weeks ago and it was so great. And then I had to go back to work on Monday. It was like God wasn't even there. It's like we're living off the past and like rumors of God or hearsay from other people. And God says, you can have a fresh encounter with me every single day. I want to come and I want to interrupt your comfortable Christianity like I did with Isaiah. And it's not always the the big, loud, flashy thing. Sometimes God just wants to get your attention so that he can change you. And for me, that was this past week. I I wasn't expecting that, but believe it or not, even pastors need a wake-up call sometimes. Ministry can very easily become about checklists and to-do lists and getting things done and programs and strategies and all this stuff. And you kind of forget that ministry is really about people, right? It was for Jesus. So I'm going along with my week. Ever have one of those weeks where it's just jam-packed and you got everything scheduled? Like, this is my agenda for the week, God. I'm going along with my week here, doing my nice, comfortable Christianity. And then a couple days, like on Tuesday before the Thursday, I get a call from Central Iowa Shelter downtown here, who we had 50, 60, 70 people at our last service that worship with us that are a part of our community from all sorts of shelters, but a lot from Central Iowa. And I've kind of developed a relationship with them. We know a lot of them. Uh, and so one of the staff members, the board members, called me. Now, this has happened a few other times before. And she called me and, and said, um, Pastor John, we need you to come down to the shelter and do another memorial service. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry to, to hear that. It's usually somebody has, has passed away. And she said, actually, this past week, we had three deaths of residents here. And one of them was... Um, One of them they found under a bridge, and one of them was in the river. Could you come down and do a a memorial service? So I'm like, sure, I came on down. And so there I am. (laughs) This is not a Christian organization. They are (laughs) government-state-funded. And here I am in the break room just sharing the gospel with the rest of the guests there at the shelter and the staff. (laughs) And it's like God reminded me. I didn't ask you to follow me so that you could be comfortable. I want to interrupt your life. I want to give you a fresh vision of who I am. These people aren't homeless. They're children of God. They have names because every human life has value and dignity. God knew these guys. They were his sons. And even if they don't have any friends or any family and nobody's there, God knows who they are. He's not anonymous to them. Boom, God comes and interrupts my life. As if that wasn't enough, (laughs) that was the morning on Thursday. Early in the afternoon, I get a call on our care phone that the pastors have here at Hope, and uh, I get called down to the ICU at Mercy where there's a young man in his 30s that has overdosed on heroin. And I get there, and his family is around and just kind of a, touch-and-go situation, and they finally are able to take the ventilator off, and I'm just praying with him, and, you know, he's got just bruises and cuts all over his arms, and um, he's having a hard time breathing, and his dad is 
recovering uh, abuser as well and going through recovery, and so he's feeling all this guilt and shame. And so there I am just sharing the gospel and reminding the whole family and the young man, Stephen, of God's love. <laughs> it's like God just said, like, this is what it's about. We make things so complicated sometimes. If Jesus wanted to come and interrupt your life today, like, would you be open to that? Or are you pretty set in your ways that this is what Christianity is? I needed that. I needed a wake-up call. Isaiah needed a fresh vision of God. God comes and brings those divine interruptions into our lives. He needed to light my fire again and set it deep down in my soul. It's not always that. It's not always extreme cases like that. It's not these big, loud visions maybe like Isaiah had. For another hopester named Jeremy, he shared with us a story a while back. It was more like the whisper of God, the presence of God in your life. Watch this next story and see if you can identify with how Jesus just comes and makes himself known in the ordinary things of life. Let's take a look. A few years ago, I had just gotten divorced. We had just signed the papers, didn't feel the energy to go to work, so I went and sat down on this empty park bench. I remember watching people walk around thinking, wonder if their lives are falling apart or if their lives are put together. Just wondering if they knew how much pain I was in. I was so, I was so inward focused and self, selfish at that time. Noticed this old guy, um, looked like he was homeless, his clothes were dirty, so he came up, sat down next to me, and I sort of turned away from him, didn't even look at him. And when he was talking, I remember just this feeling of heat transfer from him to the bench and over to me. I was just overwhelmed by this sense of peace and feeling like things were gonna be okay. So I turned to look at this, this man who had changed everything about my disposition in that moment. And he, he got up to leave, he said, have a great day. I said, thanks you too. And as he walked away, I just felt this sense of, of loss. I wanted him to come back. I was just longing for him to sit there next to me. I just remember thinking that I think Jesus just came up and sat down next to me, um, saw my pain, saw my frustration, saw my hurt and my brokenness, and just showed up and changed it in an instant, changed me. Um, and I think that was the, one of the first seeds of faith that, that Jesus planted in my heart. I love how Jeremy says, it's like Jesus just came up and sat right down next to me. Oh, you better believe Jesus is on the mountaintop in your laughter and your joy. But you better believe he's in the valley too. And he's on the plateau when you're stuck. God is longing to get your attention. And just like Isaiah's story, he will do anything he can to come and divinely interrupt your lives. And why does he do that? Just to shake us up? No, he does that to move us to this next step of getting us back on track. He wants to free us up. God longs to free us up. Look back at the story of Isaiah. It says, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. And let's read this last line together. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Man, there's some days where I would long to hear that from God. 
And we don't fully know Isaiah's story, but we know that God met him right where he needed it the most. Earlier in the passage, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. My barrier to growth, the thing that's, that's getting me stuck is I've got some sin and guilt from the past because of things I've said. And it's like God knew that. And God knows your story. And he knows the exact way that you need to get freed up. I want you to think about that. If Jesus walked in here today and sat down next to you, here's a great question to ask. What would you long for him to say to you? What would you long to hear? For Isaiah, so you don't have to carry around that guilt anymore. What, what identity do you need to be reminded of? What words do you need to hear? So there I am in the ICU with Stephen and and praying and reading some scripture together with his family and like he had just gotten off the ventilator and could hardly talk and I said, how are you doing, brother? And there's tears streaming down his face and he says, Pastor, Pastor John, all my friends always said, you're nothing but a heroin junkie. He's just weeping. He's like, I guess I proved him right. And in that moment, I just kind of felt this fire well up inside of me. And I just looked at him and I said, Stephen, that's not true. When God looks at you, he does not see a heroin addict. He sees his son, who he dearly loves, who he is so proud of. And there is nothing that you could ever do to make him love you less. Like, folks, this is when the gospel comes alive. That's why Jesus says, I didn't come for people that have it all together and that are fine. Jesus, I came for heroin addicts. I came for the guy that's sitting in the hospital that thinks he's a waste of time to God. And I said, Stephen, you are a son of God, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is who you are. And he's just weeping. I said, do you believe that? He said, I think so. And for some of you, like, I get it, like, that's an extreme example. But for some of you today, you have made that same, uh, believing that same lie and that same agreement. You're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just a workaholic. I guess I'm just an emotionally checked out father. I guess I'm just a divorcee. I guess I'm just an adulterer. I guess I'm just a, an addict. Whatever it is in your story, Jesus wants to come and free you up from that give you a new identity as a son or daughter of God. And he does that, last but not least, the last step in this process is he calls you out because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Watch what he says to Isaiah at the very end of this passage. He says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. God came and rocked Isaiah's world to the point where he could not go back to the way he was. And God gets our attention and he frees us up and then he calls us out. And he says, Isaiah, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And God says to Isaiah, aha, now we're moving. Now we're back on track. Now the fire's back, Isaiah, because you've gotten rid of doing life on your own and your agenda, and we're back on my agenda. You're waving the white flag of surrender, saying, Jesus, I am all in for you. I'm not holding anything else back. Now the fire's back. And we don't wanna just talk about that this morning. We wanted to give you a few tangible ways that you could get back on the path 
and get that fire burning again for Jesus. On every single one of your chairs, there's a flyer. Go ahead and pull that out. I just want to walk through that with you. I hear people say all the time, great sermon, Pastor John. Now what? (laughs) This is now what? Life is a journey. It's a roadmap. It's a path. It's not a checklist. These things aren't going to go in order. Remember my spiritual journey? It's a mess. But God wants you to take the next step today. And for some of you, your next step is right after the service is to head back to the Welcome Center and go see Amanda and just be known. Just know somebody here at Hope Point. Get connected. For some of you, it's time to take a class. It's time to take that leap of faith and say, I'm going to actually get to know some people. I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm stuck. I'm going to take that next step. You're going to sign up for CORE. That's going to be your next step. For some of you, it's time to take the new member class. You've been coming for a while. You would say, this is your church home. Put some roots down. (laughs) Church isn't something that you consume. It's a family to whom you commit. That's the next step. Sign up for the new member class. For some of you, it's to join a group. You know that God didn't create you to be anonymous. He created you to be known. And last but not least, God's calling some of you to lead. What if you just said, I'm going to start a small group. I'm going to pull some people together that I know, and we're going to do it. I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect, and that's never been the point. Some of you are called to lead, and we don't want to waste the God-given talents of leadership that God's given you. The question is, what's your next step? You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. What is God calling you today? Light the fire again, Jesus. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing that one more time and make that our prayer as we close today. Jesus, light that fire again. I want to burn for you. Light that fire in my soul. Bring the passion back, Jesus. I want to go all in for you. Let's make this our prayer this morning. Let's sing together.